Matthew chapter 2 this evening, verse number 1. Obviously, it's the Christmas story. I was talking to Brother Garrett this morning, and every, time, every once in a while, I'll walk by Brother Garrett, and I'll give him a little bit of advice. Um, not that I know anything more than Brother Garrett, because he's perfectly capable by himself. But uh, this morning, I walked by him. I said, Garrett, you want to know my struggle today? I said, here's the thing. I'm about to have to go to Sunday school class where they're going to teach on the Christmas story. And then we're probably going to hear a message this morning on the Christmas story. And then I'm going to have to come up with something completely original this evening to preach. So we'll see what we can do. But you've heard it once today already, I'm sure. But Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. See, it wasn't just Herod trouble. And if there's one thing in the message I'm not going to be able to fully expound on, I think it's that it was not just Herod that was troubled by the announcement of Christ's birth. It was all of Jerusalem. And we don't often touch on that. But this could have caused a problem for all of Jerusalem because they had become content with the way things were. They kind of were living in a Christianity that said, don't rock the boat. We don't, we don't need a Messiah right now. We finally kind of have things the way we like them. Sure, we're in bondage to Rome, but Rome kind of has Herod put over us. And there's no real issues at hand right now. And it's not like things are bad. Maybe the financial aspects of, of these people were okay right now. And maybe they were okay with the way things were as far as socially and economically speaking. But now the announcement of Jesus coming uh, is, is heard in their ears. And they say it's troubling news, not only to Herod, but to all of Jerusalem. In verse number 4 in the Bible says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together... He demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least of among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I've noticed in life, when you put Jesus in the middle of your focus, usually what follows is exceeding great joy. And usually when misery comes into the life of any Christian, it's because we've probably taken our focus and our chief pursuit is no longer Jesus. And so there goes our exceeding great joy. But when Jesus is the center of our drive and our focus, we have exceeding great joy. Verse number 11 of the Bible says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country 
another way. Father, I pray that you would please prepare the hearts tonight as I preach. Lord, lead me in this pulpit, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way in every heart. I ask in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen. Well, obviously, coming this time of year, we are preparing for certain things. We're preparing to see family. We're preparing to go to Christmas parties. We're preparing to uh, give and receive gifts. And and one thing that appears to be quite common in holidays this time of year and, and more recently is that we would travel away for holidays. I know about every other year, me and my wife, we travel out of town. We go to see her family in North Carolina when possible. And it just seems like Christmas is a good time of year to do that. And so two years ago, we traveled on Christmas Day. And you say, that sounds awful. Let me tell you, it was actually awesome because nobody else is traveling on Christmas Day. And we got the plane tickets a little cheaper. And so uh, we traveled on Christmas Day. And this year, in just a few, and just next week, Monday, uh, as of tomorrow, uh, next, that's a very confusing way of describing that. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, how difficult it is. I love, we need to clarify in the English language what next Monday means because we always say, well, is it this Monday or next Monday? Nobody really knows what you mean by next Monday, but it is not tomorrow Monday. It is the following week Monday. My family and I will be traveling. We'll be traveling on Christmas Eve, and I'm anticipating a much larger crowd. But you see, Christmas travel has become kind of the ordinary. It's not uncommon at all. And if you study it biblically, you could say that it is a biblical thing to travel on Christmas. You say, what do you mean? Well, I mean, Mary and Joseph traveled. I mean, there was a, certainly a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and they traveled a pretty good little spell. But not only did they travel, guess what? The wise men traveled as well. I think that you could see that uh, 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 even the shepherds got off work. When you really think about it, the only unbiblical thing is to stay at home and do nothing. Of course, I'm kidding. (laughs) This evening, I want to take a look at this trip. The trip that the wise men endeavored to go on. A Christmas vacation, if you will. But it wasn't an ordinary Christmas vacation. It was one that they would remember for the rest of their lives. Three traits from a memorable Christmas vacation. Number one, you'll notice with me this evening, the course that they set. The course that they set. See, they started a pretty good ways from where uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem were. They started pretty good ways. And I wonder whatever... What caused them to go on this trip? Well, the same thing that causes you and me to go on a trip, or you and I to go on a trip. No, I think it'd be you and me. Who knows? I'll ask somebody later. But the same thing that causes us to go on trips. A decision has to be made. Somebody's got to stand up and say, hey, we're going on a trip. Me and Miss Amy, it's pretty common every year. We understand that at least one holiday we're going to spend with her family. And the times that I try to get out of it, she decides for us, no, we're going on a trip. And some, at some point, a decision has to be made by somebody to pack up the bags, load up the car, go to the airport, and go on a trip. It began with a decision. But the question seems to be, How did these men that were so far away hear the news of this birth? 
that's been speculated on for years and years and years. And to be honest with you, I don't think there's a conclusive answer to that, but I do know what answer I believe. It would seem that they at least had some familiarity with Numbers chapter 24, where Balaam predicted that a star would rise out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It seems that they were familiar with that and they were looking for a star to come out of Jacob. Now, I'm not entirely sure if they knew anything about Isaiah chapter 9 where the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. And, it, uh, and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forever and ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now I'm not sure if they ever heard that prophecy. I, I really don't know. But here is how I believe these men found out about the birth of Jesus. It just so happens that these men were Persian. Uh, we could go into the name of them. They were not necessarily wise men. I would suspect they had some wisdom. But, but you understand that they were magi. You also, if you do any study of the book of Daniel, you'll find that Daniel spent some time in Babylon. In the very first chapter, the very first verse of the book of Daniel, we find that Babylon and king, uh, uh, the king of Babylon came and besieged the city and he selected of the very best there uh, to go back and he was going to train them in the ways of the Babylonians. Do you remember that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were part of that. In fact, you later see in the book how Daniel and his fellow men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had become part of this group of wise men. You even see how that when a decree went out from the king that if the wise men could not tell him about his dream, he was going to kill all of the wise men. And it was not until news got back to Daniel that he said, no, this is a problem for me and my buddies. You see, you can kill all of your quote unquote wise men, but you can't kill us. I've got to tell you the dream. And Daniel goes in not only to interpret the dream, but to give him the dream that he wouldn't tell them. He said, ah, you can just make something up. But if you can tell me my dream and then tell me the interpretation, I'll believe you. And Daniel did that. Daniel had become one of, or at least viewed as one of these wise men that we see coming from the east. In fact, you later know in the book of Daniel that the king of Babylon was later overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's where we have these men coming from Persia, coming from this kingdom. And you say, well, how did they ever hear about Jesus? Because in Daniel chapter 9, the Bible tells us of the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's a wonderful passage of scripture and it's deeper and longer than I could ever begin to teach to you. But uh, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel says, I'm going to kind of ad lib it here. You can look at it yourself. But he says, I was reading the book of Jeremiah. And I was reading the prophecies in the book of Jeremiah. And I understood the time that God had predicted that there would be 70 years of bondage and captivity. And he says, I realize that these 70 years are coming to a close. It was about four, three, four years until uh, that time. And so Daniel says, I realize it's coming to a close. So he began to pray for the nation of Israel, knowing that their liberation would soon to be, be to follow. That's what God had said, and Daniel believed God. 
And so he begins to pray for the nation of Israel and pray that they would repent of their sin and pray that God would restore the kingdom. And at that time, God sends an angel to Daniel. And Daniel receives a vision from the Lord. And we know it as the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, before I get way too deep into that, all you really need to know is that those 70 weeks, each week represents a period of seven years. It's sets of seven. To go even farther with that, if you want to, uh, the Bible tells us that Daniel was essentially predicting that 483 years from the decree of the restoration of the building of the temple, Jesus would come as the Messiah. And you say, you can't prove that. Well, we could. That's just not what the sermon's about. And so Daniel predicts and prophesies with extreme detail the time and the place that Jesus would be born. How else would these guys have found out about it? Oh, I've heard that they were star studiers and one day a new star popped up. Did you know new stars pop up all the time? Did you know we finally see new stars all the time? That's not unusual for that. But, but I personally believe that Daniel had made such a grand impact over 400 years ago. And he said, guys, I'm telling you right now, what I saw, the vision that I had, this is going to change everything. And a man in, with great esteem and a, great, a man with great authority looks at everybody and says, you do not want to miss this. This is the birth of the, of the world. Guys, you can't miss this. You ever heard of the, the wedding of the century? You ever heard of that? This was the birth of all time. There's no debate. And Daniel built it up. And so on this great big calendar somewhere, they marked off on this date, we need to be right here. And here we have the magi or these wise men showing up in Jerusalem saying, hey, where is this uh, king of the Jews to be born? I, I like that. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you believe or how you believe they received the information. Can we all agree they had enough information to leave Persia and come all the way to Jerusalem looking for baby Jesus, the Messiah? Can we all agree at least on that? And can we also agree on this one fact? They had far less information to go on than we do. And yet they were willing to put their lives on hold. They were willing to drop a job and leave the wife and kids at home to go after and pursue to see this baby boy. And all they had was maybe just a few lines from Daniel. Something that had happened almost 500 years earlier. That's all they had to go on. And yet they were willing to really drop everything and go follow after Jesus. That ought to cut us to our core. Oh, we have so much more than that. Even Peter said, uh, he walked with Jesus. Peter said, oh yeah, we were there at the Mount of Transfiguration. And yeah, we sat by in campfire side. But we have also a more sure word of prophecy. You see, the Bible is perfect. The Bible is complete. If you ever have a question, you know where the answer can be found. Somewhere in these pages here. And yet the wise men were able to follow all that distance. And yet we can't even cross the street to knock on our neighbor's door. They knew nothing about the resurrection. They knew nothing about the cross. And yet they were willing to put all of their life on hold just because of the birth. And ought to speak to us. 
that there was a decision made one day between these men that said, we will go and find this Jesus. A belief is only valid if it moves us to action. A belief that does not move you is not worth having. And these men had a belief based upon the words of Daniel, based upon what we know now as the word of God. They had a belief that moved them to action. I wonder if you have enough belief in you that would move you to act for Jesus. I mean, do you just believe all of this or do you, I mean, do you believe it? You see, it's one thing to believe that God told us to go and witness to everybody in this world. It's a whole other thing to actually believe it. It's one thing to believe that Jesus died for all and wants to save all. It's another thing to actually believe it. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean, there is two types of belief. There's belief that sits in your heart and goes nowhere. And there's belief that springs out and cannot be contained. And these men obviously had the latter. What kind do you have? A decision was made to follow after Jesus. I like that. Not only was there a a decision made, they had a destination. A very exact destination. Now you say, Brother Andrew, as I read it, it doesn't seem like they had a very exact destination. Well, you see the Bible says, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And then they finally get there and they say, Where is he that is born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now they arrive at Jerusalem and if you've been part of a Christmas story or ever read the Christmas story, you're familiar that Jesus was not born in Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem was approximately eight to ten miles away or from Bethlehem. So they arrive at Jerusalem and they begin to ask around, hey, where's this king of the Jews to be born? You say it doesn't sound like they had a very exact destination. How many of you remember years ago when Apple had uh, Google as their um, uh, integrated map software? And and you say, Brother Andrew, you lost me at Google. Uh, But uh, uh, how many of y'all remember when Google and Apple actually worked together and had a good apps, uh, maps app? Wow, maps app. And then they went to uh, TomTom, if you'll remember. And now I think they're trying to do something, but... But it's become quite apparent you can't trust Apple Maps. Now, I think it's pretty awesome how we have these uh, GPSs in the center consoles of our vehicles now. And we can even talk to our truck. And we say, hey, uh, truck, can you get me to the nearest Starbucks? And, and we can go to the Starbucks there. I think that's really cool. What have I told you that the new 2019 Chevrolet Silverado came with a top-of-the-line, nicest GPS system that money could buy? the only catch was it only got you within 10 miles of your destination. Well, would you rush right out and go get one of those? You say, boy, it's got a bow tie on it. As long as I can get 10 miles an hour, so maybe a Ford can take me the rest of the way. But you see, nobody would pay for that. You say, these men had a destination. Brother Andrew, it doesn't seem like they actually knew where they were going. They, they just kind of got to Jerusalem. And they started asking around, where is he that is to be born king of the Jews? But I want you to see in verse number two, their destination was not a place. Their destination was a person. See, verse number two, where is he that is born king of the Jews? 
For we have seen his star in the east. And we are come to worship him. You see, it didn't matter to them where he was. All they knew is they were going to him. They had a very precise destination. They needed to get to Jesus. And it didn't matter if it was Jerusalem. It didn't matter if it was Bethlehem to them. All they knew were they were pursuing after Jesus. They intentionally made a choice to make Christ the center of their Christmas. You see, preacher said that a lot this morning, making Christ the center of your Christmas. And, and, and every time he said it, I heard an amen. You know why? Because I believe Christians ought to believe that. Christ ought to be the center point of our Christmas. Let me ask you, what are you, specifically you, going to do to intentionally make sure that he is there? It's one thing to say amen at church. I mean, amens are given cheap. I, mean, I tell a funny story and I scream a little bit. Usually I can muster one up from you. I'm talking about an amen that goes inward, not outward. I'm talking about an amen that says, Brother Andrew, you know what? You're right. And this year I'm going to do this to make Jesus the center of my Christmas. This year my family is going to read the Christmas story before we open Christmas presents. That's how I'm going to make Jesus the center of my Christmas. I don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you have a better idea. I think the Taylors have been reading the Christmas story every night. Miss Sarah obviously knows it very thoroughly as uh, evidence this morning in the trivia questions in the youth department. But, but you see, I don't know what you're going to do. I think that's very admirable that the Taylors are doing that. I don't know what you're do- doing. But to just sit in church and say, oh yeah, Jesus ought to be the sinner. And then go and eat turkey and ham or enchiladas or whatever you eat. And then open presents and never breathe his name. What a hypocritical thing to do. And I'm not here to rip your face tonight. I'm here to show you the example of a few wise men that said within themselves, we will intentionally endeavor to go to where Jesus is. It doesn't matter where it is. We're going to go where Jesus is. They had a destination. And then thirdly, I want you to see this. They maintained a direction. Yeah, they made a decision. Every trip begins with a, a decision for the Lord. They had a destination. They were following after the person of Jesus, not the place of Jerusalem. And then thirdly, they maintained a direction. Now, this is a pretty unique thing. The Bible says in verse number two, for we have seen his star in the east. Now, I'm not an English major. My wife is. But I think I could ask my wife and she would tell me that have seen is past tense. Brother Garrett mentioned last week that he's pretty good at grammar. Garrett, would you say that that's past tense? We have seen the star. All right. Look at verse number nine. The Bible says, and lo, the star which they saw. Now, Brother Garrett, you're pretty good at this grammar stuff, right? Would you say that that too is past tense? All right, good. Also, if they were still seeing it, why did they ever go to Jerusalem? Couldn't the star have accurately led them to where they were needing to go? It would at least seem that somewhere along the way, they saw the star and then it was no more. They saw the star and then they just followed what they knew to be a sign from God. You say, Brother Andrew, I don't know about that. You see, uh, that song, we three kings of Orient are. 
bearing gifts we travel afar fields and fountain mountain following yonder star <laughs> glowing cattle <laughs> but brother andrew they they made a song about it they're following yonder star i'm here here to tell you you better not get your theology from songs they said yeah we saw his star in the east And then if you read in verse number 9, the Bible says, And when they saw in the east uh, uh, the star, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. It's like for a brief time, they no longer were following the star, but now that they've arrived in Jerusalem, and, and, and now that they've actually been asking around, the Bible says, Lo, the star which they had seen in the east led them right to Jesus. That's kind of what it seems to me. I like how when they set a course, they just set out on a direction and stayed direction, stayed in that direction. They didn't waver. You see, there's a lot of times in the Christian life where you know what God is calling you to do, and it seems for moments His hand of leadership leaves you. There are certainly times when God sends you somewhere and you say, I know this is where God wants me. And then you get there only to be surprised that God's hand is not quite so visible anymore. You ask the missionary that goes to a foreign field that knows without a shadow of a doubt that they've been called to that foreign field. And, and you ask them when they stand behind these pulpits on deputation and they say, we're going to go to this place and we're going to start a church and we're going to disciple folks. You ask in some of those discouraging times if they're quite so bold as they remember in those pulpits in America as they are sitting there with tears streaming down their face saying, I don't know, man, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we weren't so sure about it. Maybe, you see, what we want is we want the pillar by day and the cloud by, or the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That's what we want. We want for 40 years for God to just pull us around like a dog on a chain. That's what we desire. But I'm here to tell you that is not the biblical precedent. The biblical precedent is God looking to Abraham and saying, Abraham, I want you to go to a country which I will show thee. I'm not going to show it to you now. I need you to follow me in faith. The biblical precedent is God looking at Noah and saying, Hey, Noah, I need you to build an ark. Okay, what's that? Well, no, it's a big boat. I'm going to give you blueprints for it. This is how it's going to go. You know, it's going to be this long, this tall, and there's only going to be one window. I'll be driving the boat. Hey, Noah, I want to make sure you do it right. Well, what's this for, God? Well, I'm going to make it rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I'm going to destroy all creation, but you and your wife and your, your three sons and their wives are going to be saved. And Noah, for a, 120 years at least, is out there working on that boat. You think Noah saw God's hand of leadership every single day? You think somebody coming by and say, Hey, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building a boat. Well, why are you building a boat? Well, in case it rains. Well, Noah, what's rain? Well, rain's got water falling from the sky. Yeah, okay, Noah, that's never happened before. You see, sometimes when we get set out on the mission that God's called us to, his hand of leadership disappears, but God always expects you to keep following him. Now, look, being uh, concerned about uh, whether or not we're on the right path is not an excuse to just quit being a Christian uh, whenever you want. 
It's not an excuse to just say, you know what? God's not working for me. I like how these men set a course and then they maintained their direction. Even David, anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. It was kind of a unique situation because he was not yet king of Israel. He was just anointed to be king of Israel. And Saul was on the throne. David slew a giant. David even played his heart for Saul. But uh, man, they, those, those folks sang a song and it said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David's his tens of thousands. And man, that got under Saul's crawl real bad. And if you'll remember, Saul, even though showed great favor to David there at first, when he heard that song, a jealous rage went over Saul. And at least two, maybe three different times in the word of God, Saul tried to kill David. And, and, and David, even at one point, looks around and he says, it would be better for me to go to the land of the Philistines to flee the hand of Saul. It would be better for me to depart from the coast of Israel than have to deal with this. You remember David was a cave hopping from cave to cave to cave trying to avoid Saul and the army. You remember that? And David says, where's God's leadership at? Look, the biblical pattern is that God might set you on your journey and that you should just follow after God. It's admirable that these men, that they didn't even know Jesus at the time, they, they set their course and they stayed the course. Man, we Christians could learn from that, couldn't we? Even Jesus told Thomas, Thomas, yeah, it's good. You've seen me and you believed. They said, blessed are those that have believed and have not seen. Oh, Hebrews 11 isn't about people that saw it. Hebrews 11 about by faith people that saw it. Amen. I believe that. So number one, we see this even in the course that they set. Number two, boy, my voice is hurting, so we'll keep going. Hopefully we'll make it through. Number two, the confusion they encountered. The confusion they encountered. Here's what I find unique. They come to Israel, and they are met with a welcoming committee that is quite different than what they expected to see. You see, in verse number two, they arrive to Jerusalem, and they say... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, they don't ask this question. Hey, have you guys heard about this birth? Have you guys heard about, you know, the Messiah? They didn't expect that, to even have to ask that question. They showed up and said, where is he? Where is he at? I mean, we obviously heard from our land that this king was to be born. And now we've come to Jerusalem to to find this great king. Where's he at? And yet it's unique that they kind of made an assumption here that everybody would welcome Jesus into the world. That everybody would just, with the same level of anticipation that they had, they would go to Jerusalem. And I kind of think that they thought that parades would be being formed for this. I kind of get the feeling that when they arrived, they fully well expected for, for a, a hospital to be shut down or, or maybe a palace to be erected just to have this birth in. But no, no, no. They get there and they say, where is he? And this is the look they get. Uh, what are you talking about? They just assumed that everybody knew about it. They just assumed that everybody would be excited about it. I wonder if sometimes when... Lost folks come into the church. If their perception of what church is, is better than what church really is. 
you know, they come into church. I wonder if they think people will be friendlier at church than what they actually are greeted with. I wonder if when they come to church, they think that the people they'll meet would be more genuine and more sincere and more passionate about the Savior that they supposedly love and follow. I wonder if when they come to church, they're a bit disappointed by reality. It's kind of like these wise men traveling all this way just to wind up and say, this is it? There's no, there's no grand parade. There's no excitement. Uh, the king of the Jews is to be born and we seem to be the only people excited about it. I wonder if we don't turn people off with our lack of fervor for our Savior when people come out of the world into this church. What a shame it would be if when they come to church, they're disappointed by the reality of the situation. You see, these men, they, they had made it an assumption. And, and, and secondly, you'll notice with me, the aggravation that they caused because of the, the statements that they made. You see, the Bible tells us, they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? If you'll notice, uh, in verse number three, news gets back to Herod. Yeah, that's not good. Somebody probably came to Herod and they said, hey, uh, we have some folks from out of town here and they're asking about a new king. A king supposedly of the Jews that is supposed to kind of rule and reign and he's supposed to be kind of special. I mean, they came all this way to see him be born. And if you don't know anything about Herod, I'll tell you right now, historically, he is known as one of the most insecure and one of the most jealous rulers of all time. You see, Herod was the kind of guy that killed three of his own sons for fear that they were trying to kill him first. Herod's the kind of guy that uh, uh, killed his favorite wife because he was afraid or, or somebody had made a rumor that she was trying to poison him. In fact, don't we see that when uh, they failed to at least find Jesus? What's, what's his, uh, uh, his, his nuclear option, right? Just kill them all. Just kill everyone. Anybody in the kingdom under two years old, you just kill everyone. Doesn't that kind of seem like an insecure kind of person that would just say, yeah, well, I can't have anybody threatening my throne. Just kill them all. Herod's known to be that kind of guy. Historically speaking, he's that kind of guy. And now you have these wise men show up and they say, where is this new king? You know, the king that everybody's been talking about, the king that, that we've been anticipating for now 500 years. Where is this new king? Herod himself wasn't a king. Uh, he was a client king of the Roman government. They essentially had it appointed him. His father was a politician. He, uh, his grandfather had been a politician. And now he was really good at sucking up to, to Caesar Augustus. And, 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 and so he kind of had an in with him. And so Her, uh, uh, Caesar had appointed him as client king of this world, uh, of this particular area. And uh, Caesar said one day, uh, supposedly this quote is attributed to Caesar, I had rather be Herod's pig than his son. I had rather be his pig than his son. That's the kind of guy that Herod was. And now news gets back to him. Hey, where's this new king? How do you think that went over with that kind of guy? New king, what? New king, no, 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 no. We can't have new king. See, I've worked hard to get this spot. You see, I, I, I've done a lot of work to be here. I, 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 
I've, I've been a politician and I, I've, I've shaken some hands and I've kissed some babies. You see, I've earned this spot and there's no new king going to dethrone me. You think maybe he was thinking something like that? I would actually submit to you that's not too far off from what a lot of Christians think. You see, we've worked hard for the person that we are. There's no way we would give that up for Jesus. You see, all, all Herod was doing was he was afraid that Jesus would dethrone him as the ruler of his own life. You see, a lot of Christians hold back things from the Lord. You know what we're doing? The same thing Herod does. No, 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 there's no new king in my life. No, 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 he, he can't dethrone me. No, no, you see, I've worked hard. I've, I've paid my dues. I, I, I've done everything I've done to get to the spot that I am, and I've finally arrived, and, and there's no way I'm going to just turn those keys over to Jesus. He might send me to Africa or something crazy like that. That's what we say. We're not much better than Herod. All he was doing was trying to protect his own, and that's exactly what we do. No, there's no way I could give the Lord my tithe. You see, I already live off of a meager 100%. I'll tell you this right now. I'd rather have God's 90% 90 blessed by God than my 100%. It just works out mathematically a whole lot better for me. You say, Brother Andrew, what kind of calculator are you using? Oh, this one. You see, I'm not going to let God tell me what to do. Okay, Harry, that's fine. What a shame. They cause this great aggravation. I just believe with all my heart these men looked at Herod and they felt bad for him. They felt bad for him, you see, because they were willing to go to any place to worship Jesus. Herod couldn't even find the power to get out of his own throne just to go find him. What a shame. You see the confusion they countered secondly, or firstly, the course that they set. Thirdly, I want you to notice this evening we're almost done. The Christ that they worshiped. See, verse number four, Herod uses an interesting term. The Bible says, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. You understand that the wise men never called him that. Right? They called him the king of the Jews. They never used that term. I highly doubt that Herod was familiar with the pronouncement of the angel saying, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And I am almost certain that Herod was not present when, when Mary was told that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And yet even Herod used this term Christ. If you don't learn anything else from the message tonight, learn this. Christ is not a name it is a title. Sure, we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, but Christ literally means Messiah. In John chapter 1, uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 41, uh, He first findeth his own brother Simon, that's speaking of Andrew, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And, and Herod uses this term. And, and the, the wise men never use this term, but they come to Jerusalem looking for the Christ. And I want you to notice two quick things before we go. Number one, the place that they worshipped. Verse number 11, notice this when the Bible says, and when they were come into, what's the next two words there? The house. Also, I said earlier, if this is the only thing you learn, well, learn this as well. Just make an amendment to what I said earlier. Add this, okay? 
It's okay to have wise men in your nativity scene, but they wasn't there. There's a lot about the traditional Christmas story that just simply was inaccurate. And that's, I get it, it's all right, but when, when your figurines are made in China, what do you expect? The wise men did not come to an inn or a stable or a manger. And, and I'm not saying if you have wise men set up, you're ungodly. And I'm not saying that at all. I think it's all right. And I get the idea in the spirit. But they came to a house. In fact, two different times in this passage, I believe it's in verse number five and verse number nine, he is called the young child, not the baby. I would suspect Jesus is somewhere about a year old at this time. You say, why do you believe that, brother? Well, I personally think that only because I think the star showed up the night of his birth. And I think it would have taken approximately a year for them to travel that distance. As you say, how do you know that? Well, I just pulled it up on Google Earth. (laughs) Did you know it's 1,200 miles straight line from where these men would have come to where they had to go? And you can't go straight line because that's through the Arabian Desert. If you travel the trade routes, it's approximately 1,462 miles. Guess, ask me how I know that. Because I traveled the trade routes, and it's approximately 1,462 miles, according to Google Earth. Now, I'm just saying this. Even if they traveled a rate of 20 miles per day, that would have been over two and a half months. Do you know how taxing two and a, uh, 20 miles a day might have been on livestock in a very arid environment? It would have been virtually impossible. And you say, Brother Andrew, why are you doing all this? I'm doing this to tell you of these men's great commitment. And now they show up a bit late. By the way, I liked pulling in with all of my fellow 917 livers tonight. You say, what do you mean? I I mean that there was a double train on 917 this evening. And so all of the 917 folks came in about two minutes after service had begun. So it's a real blessing to sit there with you at that train. But but they were a little bit late. But man, they were still there right on time. They come up and they approach the house. And I wonder if they weren't just a bit disappointed by the place where this new king was living. Think about it. They've traveled that whole distance. Have you ever been planning to go somewhere and started your trip and you just, you've got all these grand ideas of what it's going to be like when you finally arrive? I'll never forget going to the Alamo the first time. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Daniel Boone died here. Davy Crockett died here. Man, this has got to be the coolest place ever. And so we, we come up, and if you've ever been there, I'm not sure if you have, but right across the road is a Ripley's Believe It or Not. And so I see that, and I thought to myself, Ripley's Believe It or Not has made a small version of the Alamo. And so I'm sitting there looking at it thinking, this is great, but when are we going to get to the real one? Because if you've never been there, the walls are not very tall at all. It's actually quite disappointing. I've been told of the Alamo all my life. I remember the battle cry, remember the Alamo. And I'm thinking, man, this is just have to be the coolest place ever. And I get there and I was kind of disappointed a little bit. I wonder if the wise men, after they traveled this very arduous journey, uh, oh, by the way, there's probably more than three of them, but we won't get into all that. Uh, but they, they travel this whole journey. And I wonder if along the way they're thinking, man, Daniel told us this, this was going to be the birth of all time. I wonder, 
I wonder if they're just going to have this child in the grandest palace that we've ever seen. I'm certain that somebody had told them about the temple in Jerusalem. And they're probably thinking in their mind, I bet the palace that they've put this child up in is better than even the grandest things that I've heard of the temple at Jerusalem. And yet they arrive, not at a palace, at a house. And at that house, just a carpenter's house, I wonder if Jacob or Joseph wasn't kind of one of those guys that just had his shop in his house, you know, kind of maybe in the backyard, just working from home. Nothing special about it. And these wise men, they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And they arrive only to great disappointment. The Bible tells us they arrive at the house and I, this is how I pictured. I pictured Joseph there and he opens the door as they, they knock on the door and he sees these men from the east and, and probably they had some weird garments for the day there in Jerusalem. They probably were decked out in the grandest of things and, and Joseph opens the door and says, yeah, we don't need a vacuum cleaner. We appreciate it, guys. Uh, he opens the door and they begin to explain to him why they're there and they say, we've heard of a king that is born. And we've been following a star that we saw long ago and the star came up again and it's set right over this place. Do you know anything about this? And Joseph, not being his father, by the way, as preacher said this morning, opens that door and he says, yeah, he's right over here. And they open the door and the Bible tells us that they go in and they see, in verse number 11, they saw the young child with Mary's mother. So I just imagine a child somewhere around the age of Thomas. And she's holding her baby boy. And they walk in and all their disappointment thus far totally changes. You say, how do you know that, Brother Andrew? Because I believe there was something different about Jesus, even as a child. Because you remember the man named Simeon that had been promised that he would see the consolation of Israel before he was to die. And, and Simeon doesn't ask a whole lot of questions. And at that time, Jesus would have been only eight days old because it was the day that he was to be circumcised after the custom of the law. They come there and uh, Simeon holds this child and he says, Mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. No, no dialogue was passed from Mary to, to Simeon, at least we, that we have record of. There was no information about an angelic visitor. No, no, a spirit-filled man. By the way, the Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. So Simeon was a man that, that was full of the Holy Spirit. And he looked at this child and he just knew that this was a special baby. And I just can imagine as these men traveled all this far and they come to this house and they're looking at one another saying, there's no way this is the place that the king is born. They knock on the door and they say, hey, is this the place? And Joseph says, yeah, he's right over here. And they say, there's no way this is the place. There's no way this is the place. And yet they look at that little baby and something happened where they saw that it wasn't about the place that he lived. It was about the person and the life that he would live. That that little baby one day would die on the cross. That little baby one day would be platted with the most royal crown that's ever been worn on this earth, a crown of thorns. I wonder if there just wasn't something that happened to him that day. You see, the, 
they, the place that they worship probably didn't meet the, their expectations, but the person that they worshiped absolutely did. did. I wonder, I, I, I would think that they probably expected to see a small child. I, I think that they probably, uh, given what Daniel's prophecy and how specific it, it was, I think they probably knew approximately how old the child was to be. But they arrive and I, I, they, they finally get there and they look at this child and I just cannot imagine any level of disappointment. And this is what I believe. I believe that they were certainly worshiping who Jesus was at that moment. But I believe they were also worshiping what Jesus would one day become. People may think it's funny. People may laugh that Christmas to a Christian is all about a baby. People may think it's humorous. But really, Christmas is not about a baby at all. Christmas is about the birthday of a baby who would change the course of history. You see, when I look at the manger, I, I, don't, I don't see a baby. I see an empty tomb. When, when I look at the manger, I, I see what it means for me and you. I see that one day our sins are going to be placed upon a cross. And, and he's going to be placed in a tomb. Only to keep every word that he ever promised he would when he said he would raise three days later. That's what I see when I look. I don't worship Jesus for the baby. I worship Jesus for the king. And this world may think it's funny that we serve a God that we can't see, that we can't directly converse with. Uh, the other night I was watching a TV show and this guy prayed and he wanted a sign directly from God. And sure, maybe you think that can happen. That's fine. I, I, whatever you want to believe there. But I just personally don't believe that God works like that. I, I think... People ought to be spirit-led, and I think that God gives peace in situations, and I think that God directs us through the Holy Scriptures, and, and that's kind of how I believe our relationship works with God. And people look at that and they say, how foolish is that? Here's what I think. I think no matter how foolish they think it is, I think that one day the Bible tells me, no matter how much of a skeptic, no matter, no matter how much of a scoffer or a cynic someone might be, at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Yeah, Herod's going to be there too. And he'll confess it. Caesar Augustus will be there too and he'll confess it. Muhammad will be there too and he'll confess it. For he is king of kings and lord of lords. I uh, have noticed lately that there has been this thing on Twitter. I don't like to get on Twitter. Um, it's usually very discouraging. Uh, but I have seen that trending on Twitter about once a week is a church signs deal. And I was reading through some church signs earlier today. And uh, I wanted to give you maybe just five of them here to kind of end the sermon on a, a good note. But I like this one. I told my wife this one. She didn't think it was that funny. But she's kind of a Debbie Downer sometimes. So I liked this one. It said it was too cold to change the sign. The message can be found inside. 
I like that one. My wife told me not to use this one, but I'm going to. And I'm about to find out which ones of you are secular. We're all about that grace, about that grace, no devil. (laughs) Brother Jim, you like that one. (laughs) And the rest of you trying to suppress your laugh, I love it. (laughs) I like this one. Don't let your worries kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) This one's good. We We might do a stewardship campaign on this one. Give God what's right, not what's left. And this one was my favorite. Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. (laughs) It's pretty good. The reason I bring that up is I was driving through, I believe it was Godly this week, and we don't do church sign stuff. We only put announcements on there. We're not in competition to be clever. But, but I was driving by a sign and I did see this and it struck me and I said, babe, did you see that? And it just simply said this, wise men still seek him. And when you read about these men, the journey that they traveled, the dangers that they faced, what they gave up to come visit this king, uh, the gifts were certainly lavish, but... It was the least of their worries. They had just spent a year of their life coming there and a year on return trip. I mean, they had given up a lot to come see this baby. And after all this, I think we should conclude that wise men still seek the Lord. And we know the end of the story. We know a God that died to save us. We know a God that has power over the grave If we can't make Christ the center of our Christmas, what terrible substitute are we going to put in that place? Wise men still seek him. Let's make this a Christmas worth remembering and put Christ right in the center of it.